All right, guys, uh, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Uh, this is the Produce Common Sense Podcast. This is the, the second episode. Uh, if you watched the previous one, you got to meet the rest of the family, my grandma, my mom, my Uncle Craig, and everybody else that's part of this operation. The idea of what we're doing here is to try and share common sense practices within agriculture and try and uh, you know cross the aisle, if you will, uh, from left to right and front to back so that we can meet on common ground. There's a lot of things that we do within agriculture, within a society that are a lot more common than we give ourselves credit for. And this one that I, I'm really interested in talking about today's episode will be why do we farm in the desert? Because everyone, you know, looks at that and they're like, why are you farming in the desert? There's no water there. Uh, is that really the right place to do it? And Derek uh, Acevedo with Bulls Farming Company, uh, chief operations officer is going to be with us and he's, he's in the middle of the San Joaquin Valley. We're both in, in desert, but he's in a really controversial part of the country um, that's very challenged with the use of water, uh, with water policy, and just the political uh, conflicts that exist between the urban and rural setting. And so I think it's a really uh, great opportunity to have him here with us. Uh, I'm going to say right now that if you like what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and you want to keep learning along with me as I have these types of conversations, make sure that you subscribe so you can be notified of, of, of the next episode when it comes up. So Derek, you and I met because of LinkedIn, right? Is that, is that a fair statement? I'm just curious. No, I, I, I didn't. We were in the process of uh, diversifying our crops a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I came across some of the content you were putting out there on, on uh, fresh market onions and, and, um, yeah, I just kind of sent your message and said, Hey, if you're ever looking to put something together in the San Joaquin Valley, let us know. We'd be willing to entertain that. And I think two or three weeks later, Cannon and I flew up to visit you. And the week after that, you flew down to visit us. And, and, uh, we started going on a fresh market onion adventure. An absolute adventure every step of the way. Yeah. And a plug for LinkedIn. I wish I was getting paid by them or something, but LinkedIn, like the, the networking is really cool. Um, it doesn't always work. It's like anything else, but the, I mean, we, we're, I, I, I sit in Derek's office right across from him. I sit there probably every other week and we have conversations and talk about these fresh market onions and, and how we're going to, you know, improve what we're doing and, and do a better job and, and the sharing of information back and forth. I have learned so much from them and hopefully they've learned some from us too in our farming operation. And, and it's been virtual, but it's also been real and in person and, and it's just extremely valuable. So that's, and that's why I thought it'd be great to have Derek on. So Derek, give us a little bit of background, how you ended up at Bulls Farming, your, your educational background. Like what, what is it that you'd like people to understand about you before we start having a conversation? Sure. Thanks, Shay. Uh, I'm, I grew up here in the Central Valley, a little bit north of Los Banos in a small town called Gustine, which is Western Merced County. Uh, we grew walnuts, uh, almonds, and then a variety of tree crops. Uh, in addition to tree crops, we have forage crops for for dairies and things like that. Um, so I was on the ground, one of the one of the farm kids on the ground, uh, uh, irrigating from the time I was nine, ten, eleven. You know, helping dad with whatever I could, and and uh, I think a lot of my work ethic came from that. Um, I was very involved in livestock. I graduated. Uh, I got an uh, agricultural scholarship to attend Kansas State University and participate on their livestock judging team. And, and that was a really cool experience, great school, to, and, a, and a great experience to, to, to experience something out of California from an agricultural perspective and see how the Midwest, you know, kind of does their thing. And then um, came back to California after graduating, was really involved in the, in the processing uh, 
uh, industry processing tomatoes specifically. And about four years ago, made the transition to Bowles Farming Company, where, you know, vice president, COO, and I oversee, you know, work with our different crop partners and oversee all the crops we grow and figure out where to grow them and put that whole puzzle together of crop rotation and and, and customer demand. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And talk about sustainability, right? Bull started in nine, sorry, 1858. That's right. Uh, It started as a vertically integrated cow calf operation, a butcher shop that expanded to a cow calf operation. And at the the peak of their land holdings, uh, you know, were you know, in possession of 1.4 million acres that they uh, put together on Spanish land grants and things like that. And um, you know, it's a, it's a lot smaller uh, footprint today, but um but it's, you know, some of, some of the farm, some of the areas that we farm have been under the stewardship of the same family for 160 years, which is a pretty impressive number. How, how many generations is that? Is that like so eight? That's, it's on a sixth generation. Sixth generation. Okay. Yeah. But it's so, always yeah. interesting to put that in some, some historical time frame. like, like Lincoln was in the Senate, you know, when, when <laughs> the company started, you know, the number two pencil was, was, was just patented. You know, those are some of the things that were happening. That's crazy. That's really cool. So water has been, I mean, okay. So the San Joaquin Valley is, I mean, in your area, I guess there's some wetlands, but in general, the San Joaquin is just a vast, vast desert. So I, to get to the, to the crux of our conversation and, and you know, what I want people to understand is what is it that makes sense about farming in, in the desert? What doesn't make sense? What are the challenges, but you know, like, what are the benefits, you know, like if we're going to do a T chart here and put, you know, the, the, the positive, the good on one side, the negative on the other, like, what is it that, you know, we can, we can communicate and you, you specifically where you're at, maybe me, where I am as to the advantages of farming in the desert. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll start with saying that California water is an incredibly complex subject that's multifaceted and there's probably nine to 15 people, you know, that really understand the whole deal. And, and I am not one of those, Jay. So if I, you okay, know, all right. if I offend somebody, you know, sometimes it's like, there's, there's so many different ways to look at it. It's really, really tough to, to synthesize that down into something simple. But, um, you know, what I, what I will say is farming, you know, from, a from a geologic perspective, California has a really, really unique, um, ability to to provide water you know if i'm trying to think of how to explain it but like if if you think about a crop the the ideal situation for a crop is you give that crop everything it needs when it needs it and water is one of the most important variables in that equation and so if you get a chance to to control how much water a crop gets and the time and how you can really optimize the yield for that crop too much water and too little water are equally detrimental you know at, at the extremes of either end and so there's other places that get a lot more a lot more water in the form of rainfall, but that isn't necessarily valuable for growing crops because a lot comes with that disease, insects, mold, you know, all sorts of other pressures. You actually make me think of like the California, like when we talk about onion production, I mean, just to say specific to that, but like uh, if you go to New York or if you go to the Midwest because of the high volumes of water, like they have a lot more fungus, like fungus pressure. So they have to apply way more fungicide. Their yields tend to be much lower, uh, half in fact, uh, even though they have all the water, in fact, they don't irrigate at all, but their yields are 50% what ours are. Um, and, and a lot of their, you know, when, when you look at 
total carbon footprint, it'd be a really interesting thing to try and understand between the number of trips that the tractors have to go through the field and the additional fungicide and pesticide applications that are required based on the, where they're at. And so there's, you know, in, in a, in a nutshell, the advantage of the desert, right? For sure. And, and California is in a really specific geographic region where we have the Valley floor, floor so close to the, the Sierra Nevada mountains that, that store so much water in the, in oh, the form of snowpack. And, and a lot of people think of California as a dry state, but it's not a dry state in, in the sense that Nevada is a dry state or Arizona is a dry state or New Mexico is a dry state. California has abundant water resources in the northern half of the state and very poor water resources in the southern half of the state. And so there was discussions back, back way back in the 1920s, you know, and, and, and to, to even, even prior to that, um, to, to move some of those water resources uh, south. And so, you know, the, the same developed water infrastructure that serves California agriculture also makes it possible for, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles and all these other places to exist. Right. And that's something that we, we get that disconnect too sometimes. And, and the reality that, you know, that the, the infrastructure in the city, that the water they're using to create their widgets, whatever that might be, whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of manufacturing or food processing or, um, you know, the, for the, there's, I mean, there's still a lot of clothes made in the garment district in, in LA, for example, uh, although they're not making their fabric there, but th- there, there's still a massive amounts of water that are required for industry and industry uses the water in those cities. It's just not as visible, right? I mean, it's being delivered in a pipe underground goes to the, the, whatever that facility is, that's creating whatever widget that they might be creating. And it goes out another tube after it's used. Uh, you know, through the sewer system. And I, I think the visibility of the way that water is used in the desert also has an impact. When people see the water running through the canals, running into the fields, and it's green, people are like, okay, there's water being used there. If, and if it's surface water, they know there's water being used there. And and to me, I think that's part of the, maybe the perception too, as to, okay, well, the farmers are using all the water. Not that they're not using a lot, but, you know, it's it's more apparent. Yeah, I think I think so. And sometimes I wonder, you know, if 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 folks in in the urban areas, maybe a question for them would be like, how, if if you just had all the water you could you could imagine, like, what else would you do with it? You know, um, you know, if you had, you know, if every person in L.A. had 10 acre feet of water to, to use for the for the summer, like what what would you do? You know, there's only so much stuff you can do. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, using, you know, Water to grow food, that's a, that's, that's a gravity problem. You know, it's like, like water is an, a, a essential for growing food. And, and we're not exporting that water, if you think about it. You know, the, you know the, the water that we apply to our fields, yes, it helps to grow our onions, but it's also providing, um, you know, moisture that's helping promote all the, you know, the, the, the soil activity and the mycorrhizal fungi and all the other soil biology in, in our in our ecosystem, some of that's going to, 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 you know, fill aquifers. And so, so it's with water, the answer is never simple. I mean, I think that's the easiest way to approach it. So where, where do you think the, as farmers, as agriculturists, as, you know, the users of water, where's our, what's our biggest failure been? And what, what is it that as an industry, we, we could do different? Is there anything like any low lying fruit? Like, Hey, we've, we've totally failed at X, Y, or Z. Is there anything comes to mind for you? I don't know. That's a great question, Shay. I think, um, you know, the way we've used water has just evolved over time. Um, you know, there are probably, 
there probably was more waste in the system uh, previously. Uh, and a lot of our system was designed to, um, you know, kind of capture and recycle that waste. And, and, and that was the water that other folks used um, downstream. And so as we get more efficient with water, that's creating some shortfalls in the folks that relied on, you know, the tailwater that was coming down right. the pipe. I think, um, I think one of the things just as a, as a, as a group, I think the biggest miss for me is that, um, you know, water's just become this, this polarizing topic where it's like the, you know, it's, it's those, those people, you know, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's all kind of part of agriculture in general. Like people aren't, um, you know, they, they just don't appreciate the, 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 the real care effort and human, uh, that it goes into optimizing all the resources that we have water being one of them. And, um, and I think we've just really missed there. I, I would like to see more of our political figures just promoting all the good that agriculture does do and, and, and not use water to something that divides us, but, um, you know, use, use water and, and agriculture is something that kind of brings people back together. I mean, food's been, food's been bringing humans together for 70,000 years. It's a pretty, pretty regular deal. I think margins, when we talk about it, I, the, the idea a lot of the time is that for some reason in agriculture, that the margins are massive. I'm not sure why margins are bad, like making a profit is a bad thing, but for some reason, I think in agriculture, because of this, I don't want to call it the demonization of agriculture, but it almost is the demonization of agriculture of everything that we're trying to do. We're trying to, you know, rape and pillage the soil, or we're trying to do, you know, all of these unethical things. And it's really, I mean, it's not that, but for some reason, at least myself as a grower, I feel like that happens a lot, which is why, you know, we're having this conversation, which is why I'm on social media, which is why I'm trying to talk about what we do to try and really share a message about, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like if you feel like you have to defend yourself more than you would expect to, I mean, I, you kind of grew up in agriculture, so it's actually a better question to ask someone who's outside the industry that came in, but I grew up as like a really proud farm kid. And then I went out in the world and I'm like, Whoa, like people don't think what I do is cool. Did you, did you have that kind of an experience? Uh, a, a little bit different, but I, I probably run into that a lot more now. Um, and it is a little bit challenging. I, I saw uh, it was some Facebook or, or Instagram post, and it was like, you know, name, you know, name your top three words that describe, you know, farmers. And it was really interesting. The words that came out were like, like essentially some version of like, like dumb and rich. <laughs> and I'm just like. Those two don't go together very often, but yeah. Okay. And I I think there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, but at the same time, like every political, everyone who has some sort of political aspiration, like claims to be a farmer because farmers still a trusted voice. And it's, it's just this weird. Yeah. And there's always cultural practices that we can prove upon, you know, in agriculture, you know, the way that we use water today is dramatically different than it was 30 years ago. So, I mean, there are cultural practices that help us reduce water consumption and there's certainly policy uh, that, that becomes part of that. But I think generally speaking, especially when it comes to water, um, you know, or, or other inputs, farmers are really respectful of following the rules. You know, we, we, I, I, for some reason, I think we get this like cowboy mentality, um, where we're, you know, we're always trying to figure out how to, how to not do things right. And I think in general, we're doing things to the letter of the law, to the extent that we can, um, all along the way. And water consumption is part of that, but, but it does require, you know, changes in public policy. It does require cultural changes within the industry too, to get us there. So you talked for a second about like the cost of land and how 
land shouldn't come out of, out of production, but there's, you know, how many, I mean, I know the number is different and I don't even know the name of the law. Um, but the, 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 the new, the new law associated with basically pulling water from wells, right. That is going to take acres. I mean, a half a million to a million acres. Do you, is, is that number figured out? Like how much, how much farmland is going to be lost here with this new, um, law and policy? Sure. So that's, that's uh, Sigma, the sustainable groundwater management act. Um, and essentially, you know, there's lots of other states that uh, have very highly regulated groundwater uh, restrictions. California was not one of those. And so, you know, for, for most of and we're talking south of the deltas, you know, the, you know, south San Joaquin Valley for, for the most part for, for this discussion. But, you know, if you look at historical deliveries, um, you know, from 1950 to 1990, uh, except for the drought of 77, you know, ag was given a hundred percent of its water allocation and, and it was delivered at a hundred percent in all of those years, except for one, I believe I could be off on a year or two, but it's pretty close. You have 40 years of, of secure water deliveries on, on the West side of San Joaquin Valley. And then in the nineties, um, that's when a lot of these, um, you know, in, environmental legislation began layering on and, and it began reducing the water that was um, that, that was allocated to the west side, and, and there were some you know some droughts and stuff throughout the year, those years too. But you know these days, uh, a fifteen or twenty or thirty percent allocation is 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 a big deal. And um, and so in order to offset that water use and keep farming, farmers turn to groundwater instead of surface water. And you know, the wells got deeper and, the, and, and more plentiful. And, and so essentially there was there, and, and there, I, I mean, there was probably some need to step in and, and, um, and, and have some sort of regulation on that, not just for, for, for farms, but, you know, there was nothing to stop cities from buying some ground and sinking some big wells and shipping water down to themselves and all that other stuff. And so, right. um, yeah, so that the est- there's nobody knows, but there are estimates that anywhere from, you know, half a million to a million acres could be, taken out of farming production once Sigma is fully implemented. I mean, I, I, it's, we're the same way over here. Like we have these challenges with, uh, in the treasure Valley with water overall, this is one of the first short years, uh, across the spectrum. Like usually we have different, you know, there's different irrigation districts. Some are fine, some are, some are not. And I, I, I think some of the things as I watch what's happening within agriculture and this land coming out of production and that potential is, is it really comes down to, um, who, who it affects. It's kind of easy to continue to, you know, impact others. It's when it impacts us personally that we start to, you know, consider what the policies are. And, and I, I'm not, I'm, I am one with you. I'm not, I'm not against the policies. It's just at some point you have to, you take a step back and you're like, okay, well, what can we do differently? Is it really worth pulling those kind of acres out of production? Is it really worth, uh, you know, not having that water available for whatever reason it might be, whether it's infrastructure or, or, um, you know, production, uh, agriculturally speaking, or if it's, if it's industry within the city, I guess is, you know, kind of the way that I look at it. Um, I appreciate your time. Thanks for, thanks for being on. Uh, hopefully there's, there's a few nuggets in here between our conversation back and forth that other people can take away from this. I think the main thing for me, and I, I know Derek, you're on the, the same page here is, we really, as, as farmers want people to know, uh, you know, that we're trying to do the right thing. We're again, we're, we're willing to follow the rules. 
Uh, so, but sometimes these rules get really, really uh, complicated and they're hard to follow. It's hard to do everything that's asked of us. And I think that's uh, where we are in agriculture today. It's just that accumulative effect, just like with the water on top of agriculture and what we yeah. are required to do that's making it harder and harder to uh, deliver the food that everyone needs. Um, yeah. So again, thank you. Uh, thanks for being on. So I just want to thank Derek for being on with me. Derek is a great guy that works for a phenomenal company. Bulls is really trying to do the right thing. Canon Michael, the uh, sixth generation in that family operating that farm really does some amazing things. He's working on some regenerative projects and uh, he's also, you know, constantly trying to uh, invite the public, uh, the policymakers and the politicians to come and see what they're doing on his farm. And uh, that, that is what it takes for us to, to, to move the needle, to share what we're doing. We have nothing to hide. We, uh, we love to improve our processes and to share what we do. Um, there'll be more like this. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to kind of this candid open conversation between Derek and myself about vegetable production in the desert. And uh, you'll want to come back and hear the next one. Like and subscribe and uh, follow along. We'll catch you later. Thank you.